I had cisgender white men coming up to me and telling me how much they related to a story that I wrote in the book about my first time with a woman. And that's like, really? Like when they would give me this feedback, I'm like, I almost, I'm almost thinking, but it wasn't even for you. But then I realized that I don't get to really choose who the healing is for. I just intend for the healing to be there and that it will find the people that need it. Welcome to Business School for Writers, where we help storytellers like you ditch the starving artist cliche and thrive. I'm your host, Lauren Marie Fleming, and I am obsessed with the power of stories. I've seen the way stories heal writers, readers, and whole communities. But I've also seen the way we silence marginalized voices and discourage people from pursuing a career as a writer, which is why I'm here today helping you to ditch the lies you've been told about whose story matters and instead embrace the truth that the world needs your story now more than ever. I am living proof that it is possible to build a thriving career as a writer and I created Business School for Writers to show you exactly how you can write more, publish more, and make more money as a storyteller. Welcome to your virtual classroom. Welcome to your cheerleading squad. Welcome to Business School for Writers. writing project you've been putting off for way too long? Life is so distracting and sometimes it can feel impossible to carve out the physical and mental space you need in your life to write. If you're feeling overwhelmed or uninspired, I want you to know you are not alone. Most people I talk to tell me there's just no way they could create time in their busy schedule for writing. I used to think the same thing too, but when we dig in deeper and look at our lives, we find that we're spending hours on social media or binging Netflix. Even my busiest clients, working moms with multiple kids, even they have been able to find just 20 to 30 minutes a day to write. I've taken the tips and tools I've gathered over the past decade to create my own writing rituals and writing rituals for my clients, and I've put them all together in my Write More Challenge. For 30 days, I'm going to help you carve out 30 minutes a day for writing. Think that's impossible? Well, the hundreds of people who've taken my Write More course all thought the same thing too. But now, they're daily journalers, bloggers, or book writers. If they can do it, and if I can do it, then you can do it too. Let's work together to get your story out into the world. Because the world needs your story now more than ever. Learn more at businessschoolforwriters.com slash write more. That's businessschoolforwriters.com slash write more. And as always, that link is in your show notes. I cannot wait to see what you write. Keisha Lynn Moore Elliott is a writer, speaker, and life coach. She graduated from Spelman College in 2002, and now she's an educator, storyteller, and proud black lesbian. Themes in her work include identity, self-actualization, sex, love, relationships, and faith. Childish, Stories from the Life of a Young Black Girl is her second book, and it's based on stories from her childhood. Her first book, A Dream Comes True, that's D-R-E-A-M, is a self-help ebook. In all of her endeavors, she embodies her dedication to helping others live their dreams and write their way through pain. She lives in San Diego with her wife, Shelly, and their son, Simeon. And I'm honored, honored to call her a friend. And I'm very honored that she's our first guest here on the Business School for Writers podcast. So welcome, KL. What's up? Hey, 
What's up? Thank you. Today, we're going to talk about healing yourself and others through self-publishing or what Keisha Lynn likes to call, which I love this term, and she's only introduced it to me recently, restorative storytelling. So let's just jump right into what the heck is restorative storytelling? Uh, Okay, well, I'll start with the restorative piece. So um, in my other life, Well, I should probably introduce myself by saying I refer to myself as a creative entrepreneur, which in the simplest terms means I make my money in three ways. Uh, I have a full-time job. I'm a professional. I am an educator and I'm a director at a nonprofit. And I have a full-time business. I'm an entrepreneur. Like I'm a, a coach and an author. And I'm also creative. So the creative and the entrepreneur come together, but then they blend with that professional piece. And that makes Keisha Lynn, the creative entrepreneur professional. In my professional work, I, uh, I do a lot of things, but one of my favorite things that I do is I'm a licensed restorative practices trainer. And what that means is that I am trained in and I train others in ways to build community and also to heal that community when harm happens in a community. So through doing that work, I've been learning a lot about, okay, this is what it looks like to take some kind of pain or take some kind of harm, break it down to a place where you can figure out what do you need to do to make things right do that thing, restore the community and and kind of move forward. So that's kind of the professional framework from which I came. Like that's where the restorative piece comes. The storytelling piece comes from the creative part of who I am, right? I've always been a writer. I've all my childhood, I aspired to become an author. And then ultimately in adulthood, I finally did find that path myself and write and publish my books and go and share my stories like on the stage. Um, And I thought the two things, the two processes were separate. Like in my creative world, I'm over here storytelling. And in my professional world, I'm over here being restorative and helping to build community. I brought the two together when I published my second book, Childish, the one that you just waved in front of the screen. This one Um, right here, you mean that I love? That one, yeah. Oh, nice cover. (laughs) Um, When I published that book, well, even when I was writing that book, I knew what I was doing was I was finally telling the stories from my childhood, the, the painful stories, the ones that were very hard for me to live through. And then even having lived through them, the ones that I didn't really share because of the shame associated with a lot of it or the pain. Um, When I got to a point in my adulthood when I realized not only am I ready to tell those stories, but I think those stories will help be healing for me like as a process to share them, get them on the page, get them out there. That's going to be the final, the final piece of healing for myself. What I didn't expect was that readers would get that book, read that book, and then come to me and share with me how it helped heal them. And so I thought, oh my gosh, look at all of this restoration that's happening just from me sharing my story and putting it out there. And so I was like, I'm doing storytelling, but I'm also being restorative. Um, In restorative practices, you focus on restoring the community, the people around you. But in restorative storytelling, I've discovered that by telling your story and sharing it with others, it's a way for you to restore yourself, restore yourself to yourself, restore yourself through all of the harm um, and the hurt that happened in childhood. So that is where the kind of the self-healing part comes in. And that's what I expected when I put out Childish. What I didn't expect was to see that restoration ripple through my readers who were also feeling 
some healing and wanting to experience more, wanting to know more about it. Like not just about my book, but now tell me about your story and your book and your healing that you need to put out there to help others. And so I'm just, I can't help but blend all these kind of um, parts of myself together. I can't help that I love to take, you know, bites of every piece of chocolate I want to taste all of the flavors oh yeah Um, you do but it's working for me not in just that I'm living my dreams and I get to be an author and I get to talk about that but it's working for me at the level where I want to make a difference I want to help people in the world and putting my story out there it's great that it gets me attention but um, it's powerful for me and it's most satisfying for me when people experience healing for themselves, for themselves, and when people decide to empower themselves to share their story in a deeper way and expand that healing to others. So why writing? Like you talked about just on stage, I've seen you perform these pieces. They're amazing. You were an amazing <laughs> performer oh. when it comes to performing pieces, both in Childish and some of your more risque pieces and some of your more like social justice pieces. I've seen you perform a lot of pieces. What is it about is it writing? Is it storytelling? Is it all of the above? Like, is it similar? Is your writing as profound and as restorative as any other kind of storytelling? Is one bigger or for you personally or for your work? Um, so the question why writing, for me, the answer is because reading, right? So when you That's grow like up like I did. Answer. I love that yeah. answer. Why writing? When because you, reading. So Because good. reading. Growing up the way that I did, experiencing um, some trauma, experiencing a lot of transition and having to start over, there was a lot in my life, in my childhood, that I wanted and needed to escape from. And I found that escape through reading. I became a reader kind of organically. I, I, I was fully able to read like adult by the time I was three. And that came from my mom spending a ton of time, like some of the earliest, the, the earliest memories that I have of my mom are her reading to me. My mom was a voracious reader as well. And so I remembered how often I defaulted to the reading space in order to escape what was going on in my life. And by immersing myself with words and um, enjoying the stories that were coming out of that, of course, it plants a bug in you to, I wonder what it would be like to tell my own stories. So from that same organic journey to becoming a reader, the writer in me started to emerge. I actually wrote my first full book when I was 12 years old. And I self-published that book as well. I printed it out on my mom's dot matrix printer. I tore the pages apart. I, I uh, poked the holes in them and down them and duct taped the binding. and. That is actually my first book and I still have that manuscript. So um, being able to escape through reading inspired me to want to create an escape through writing. Now, it wasn't an easier immediate journey. If I wrote my first book by 12, why do I only have two on the market now at almost 40? Um, It's because it's not an easy journey when you rely on others to tell you if it's good or not, or if you should or shouldn't. And very early in my childhood, I was having those experiences where I'm like, oh, look at here, this thing I wrote. And then it's just getting like red pen and feedback and critiques to death. I mean, I didn't know how to handle that or what to do with that. So I kind of kept it to myself for a really long time. But you know, what good is a story if there's no one to read it? You know, it's like, 
putting on a pretty dress and not having anywhere, not having anywhere to go or not letting any, anyone see it. So once I learned how to um, overcome my fears of rejection, overcome my fears of not being good enough or not being able to create that beautiful escape for my readers that I found as I was reading as a child and then into adulthood, just decide to, to go for it. And the only way to experience it is to, is to do it you know, and do it enough so that you get the good feedback. You get the affirmation that like, this is good, or this is healing for me, or this made me think differently. Once you get a little taste of that, writing will always be your default. Or for me, that's my story anyway. Writing has always been my default. It's always been how I process through. It's where I tell my secrets. And now I don't, I try, I try to keep my secrets to a minimum and just share as much as possible. Because again, that through the sharing, that's when I discovered how healing it is for me. And the response to what I've shared is healing for others. And I guess, you know, I would describe myself as a pretty generous and altruistic person. Um, but I really, really, I'm really kind of self-centered too. So if something about me and just the way I happen to show up in the world and share in the world helps others, it's like the ultimate. Um, and my way of doing that, my primary way, my first way, the organic way comes through writing. I found other ways, of course, too, but writing is my, is my go-to and it's a very, very powerful tool. I want to delve a little bit deeper into something you said, because I think that it was so powerful. You were like, if I wrote my first book at 12, why do I only have two books out, uh, like for sale out in the world? And you mentioned that you were, that for so long you were waiting for permission or for somebody to like say your book was good enough. And I think that that's something I see so often in my clients and my friends and people I interact with and in myself as well. You and I actually happened to have published our first book at the same age and we both decided to self-publish because we'd spent so long trying to get traditional publishers to publish our stuff. And I love that you now have a stories of the life of a young black girl and you're talking about sex and you're talking about like queer sex and all kinds of sex in there. And I just love that because you're right. A traditional publisher probably wouldn't have picked this up, but it's an amazing book and it's healing. And I've seen people react to it when you read it on audiences. And I've seen people react to it when you're selling it at, like out selling your book out in public. And I think about, I, I am not anti-traditional publishing. I think it's a really great path for a lot of people. But I think about how many stories like yours, powerful, life-changing, restorative storytelling stories are out there and are not out there in the world because the traditional gatekeepers, which are typically straight white men looking to make money, are, um, are not allowing access. So I love that you embraced self-publishing as a way to find, to find a home for your voice. And I love that you're bringing it back to that 12-year-old self of yours as well. Yeah, I mean, it's a huge opportunity to do that now. When I was 12 in 1992, I don't think self-publish, I mean, self-publish, I did self-publish, but in terms of getting your book to, into the hands of other people, that wasn't, a, there wasn't even the internet. <laughs> so unless you were going to pay a bunch of money to print uh, your book yourself and try to distribute it, that, that was going to be hard. You never need permission to write. You just don't. You give yourself permission to write. No one else has to be involved in that decision to put your story down and get it out of you. But back in the 90s and even into the 2000s, uh, you needed 
it, it seemed like you needed permission to publish. And that was an obstacle for a very long time. You needed someone to think that you were good and also needed someone to be willing to take it on and put it out there. Well, by the time the 2000s ended, Amazon is a thing, self-publishing is a thing, the internet is a thing. There's a lot of new resources that have popped up that allow you to give yourself permission to publish as well. And that was the key to me. And the other thing I love about self-publishing, a lot of creatives out there are probably, or just human beings, just hate rejection. They just hate rejection. And um, it's a really uncomfortable feeling. I'm learning to embrace it as a necessary growth process, but it takes a lot of personal development. So that's what I work on on the coaching side, like developing yourself enough to embrace rejection as a part of your growth process. But if you're just completely rejection averse, self-publishing is a good way for you because there's literally no rejection involved in the process unless you somehow reject or stop yourself, which is probably a very common form of rejection in the self-publishing world. That author that just gives up and says, this isn't good, no one's going to read this and they stop, they stop the work. But if you push through that and you get your book on the market, you get it published, I guess there's a form of rejection in no one in the world ever reading your book. But that's complete bunk. Someone is going to buy and find and find and buy and read your book. Some, many someones. Um, and that was certainly my experience as well when I put my first book out, which I call Dipping My Toe in the Water. And uh, we, we can talk a little bit about what that means. But just the fear that no one will read it or care is completely unfounded. But you don't get to experience that until you take that step and put it out there. People still think, authors, uh, aspiring authors, still think that they shouldn't even start the work until they have found someone that will accept the work. And I'm like, you're absolutely right. You shouldn't start the work until you found someone that accepts the work. I know someone. You, how about you accept the work so that you can start the work and then, you know, put, put it out there. Uh, and the very first author that I had to have that tough love, tender love talk with was myself. And that is ultimately what resulted in the birth of my first book, A Dream Comes True. I love that. I felt that similarly. So my book, Body Love, 10 Steps to Profoundly Loving Your Body, I needed it to be out in the world and I had was talking to publishers and people just like were like, you're basically telling me I'm not famous enough for them to take on that risk. <laughs> and I was like, but I need this. Like I need to publish this for myself. And so I put there out in the world. I did a short like 250 books. I sold pre-sold half of them, sold almost the rest of it at the end. And then after that, I was like, that was enough. Like if I had waited decades for a publisher to think that I was famous enough for that book to be out in the world, the healing that came from writing a book about loving myself and putting a book out in the world about loving myself. Like now, whenever I start like not loving my body, I'm like, I literally can't. I wrote a book about how I'm going to forever. So I can't. And it was, it was like permission it was, and it was like, I had to, I had to let go of being told for decades that traditional publishing is the only way your book is valid. And I think that I love that you talked about dipping your toe in because the minute I published Body Love, I was like, oh, 
these 10 other books that I've been waiting until I was famous enough or waiting until some publisher just came along and said it was okay, I should maybe finish them. Because like there's something beautiful in just the writing process. And sometimes the writing process, like I have, I've written 10, I've written seven books fully, completely. And only two of them have been published because sometimes writing them is healing enough. Like that's all yeah. you need to do. And so I love that you bring up that you're a, like, what, what I write down that you said, you never need permission to write, but you used to need permission to publish. And now you don't. And I right. love that. I love that. Love that. Love that. Can you say something about that again? Just so like people can really hear that again in their heads. Well, here's what, here's how I answer that question when I'm teaching people about self-publishing specifically, because kind of like you, I don't invalidate traditional publishing route. And I understand that that's, I mean, I may pursue traditional publishing at some point. It is something that I think about a lot, but when you think about the steps, the pathways, right, to traditional publishing, like first you have to this, first you have to write your book and have it be good enough, whatever that means chop it around to an agent, get that agent to get you a book deal that's accessible and all of that. On the other side, self-publishing, <laughs> you're literally a Word document and a JPEG image away and maybe a few clicks on Amazon or whatever e-publishing platform you might look and your book is there. So when you think about the pathway to getting your book to be there in your hands or in a reader's hands, the, the traditional route, and then when you think about it or when you simplify it, it's really true. I mean, if you have a word processing system and if you have or can find a pretty picture, your book can be a real thing in the world. Um, so once you remove the obstacles of like how and what the pathway is, the only thing that's left to do is to put yourself on it and get it done. Get your book out. If you have a capacity to do your own design stuff, great. If not, it's not impossible or completely unaffordable to hire someone else to do that piece for you. And then you put the two together and it's like, click, 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 and then kerching. <laughs> so uh, that's what I mean by giving yourself, uh, giving yourself permission. What that looks like when you're pursuing a traditional publishing route is still very challenging and hard. But what that looks like when you're pursuing the self-publishing route is fairly simple. And people go, really? just a Word document and a JPEG. And I'm like, yes, really. Yes, there's a lot of work that goes into that Word document. And yeah, there's some work that goes into that image. But that work, that body of work is a lot easier. And there is no, again, unless you stop yourself in the process, there's not going to be anything that holds you back. Meanwhile, you're going to run into a lot of roadblocks on the traditional traditional pathway that have nothing to do with how awesome you think your book is or how ready you are for the world to have it. And so give yourself permission and understand when you're choosing the self-publishing route, you're choosing a path that is going to be successful as long as you continue to give yourself that permission. Whereas on the traditional route, there could be some other obstacles for you to overcome that could, you know, lead to all kinds of consequences emotionally. And the ultimate consequence is maybe your book doesn't get out there. Maybe your book doesn't get into the hands of that reader who desperately needs to hear someone like you tell that story. I love that. I love that. I love that because I am, you know, I've dealt with that. Like I've gone through the traditional publishing route three times. And at the end of all three, they're like, this is a great book. You're just not famous and or like you don't have a big enough following for us to take this route on or this is a really great book but have you thought about like 
changing this character from being gay, or this is a really great book, but like, like your body love book, maybe we should add some like diet talk into your self love book. So like, I know that rejection and I know it's hard. And I also know that those pathways to publishing take forever. There's so many steps you have to get to even get to a publisher, more or less get to published. And that can be decades. And for some books, like I have a book that's in that path right now that I feel like that's the right path for that book. But most of my books, that's not, they need to be out sooner. They need to be in people's hands sooner. So I love that. And I love that you talked about once you remove the pathway, the only thing left to do is get it done. And I think that that's so hard. I think so often we see, we see this idea that like publishing is this one thing. And so we put all these roadblocks and so we don't allow ourselves to even write because we don't think that we'll ever be able to publish. So I thought that we would talk about some of the ways in which you overcame those pathways. So what did you have to struggle at all with the still unfortunate stigma that people have against the quality that people see of a self-help book as less quality, not a self-help book, of a, a self-published book as less quality than a traditionally published? Did you struggle with that at all, that stigma? In terms of quality, well, I wouldn't say that I struggled because I do, I'm a Virgo, so that translates into perfectionist. And so I knew that I'm just not the kind of person that was going to, even just to get it out there fast, wasn't going to do a good job. Um, And my biggest inspiration to really push for a certain amount of quality was I read a ton of ebooks that I felt weren't really good. Now, whether they are good or not is not what's relevant to your audience in this process, because the bottom line is good or bad, I paid my money for those books. Those books were published and available and whether I liked it or not, that author is drinking a latte right now because I bought that book, but it helped me understand the kind of quality that I was gonna aim for. And I knew that in order to get there, I was going to have to learn some things that I didn't learn. And so I did what probably a lot of your clients are doing when they come to you. I hired a coach. I hired someone to help me. Now, quality is great. And I wanted that, but I wanted some other things too. Like I wanted it done. <laughs> no, no doubt. Like I said, an arbitrary, like a deadline. I published my first book on my 32nd birthday. So I was like, September 6, 2012, that book is on Amazon and people are buying it, period. So the urgency piece was kind of addressed through that um, and getting it done. I wanted it done quickly. And then I also wanted it done in quality. So when I went looking for a coach, I looked for a coach that was marketing how quickly and easily you could put a book together. And I worked with an amazing um, woman whose whole thing was three days to your e- to ebook profits or something like that. And I was like, yeah, three days is about around the amount of time that I would like to invest in learning and doing and executing on that. And it really, it really is, um, it really is possible to do something that quickly. Now to get it to quality, <laughs> quality and a quickness depends on how much help you have, right? So I am really fortunate that I have great people in my life who have editing skills and writing skills and even some marketing skills that were willing to take a look at my book after it was done, 
to help me improve the quality of it. And like I said, I did outsource all the design elements, which are basically your cover and the typesetting or the formatting of, of the page, how it looks on the page. I don't know how to do that. I didn't want to learn that part. I outsourced that. But um, in the editing process, you know, make it as good. Help me catch as many errors. Help me make sense. Help the story shine. I wrote the story. Now help me bring it to life and help it pop. The thing about that, though, is when you hire your own editors, you can set your expectations up. And one of my expectations when I hired my editors was, I need you to understand that this book is happening. So feedback of the nature of you shouldn't publish this book or this book is garbage or anything like that, any feedback that's going to have me stop this process or slow this process down, that's not what I'm hiring you to do because we are going to move forward. So when you are the author and you're also the publisher, you have that control over your team that's helping you um, to, to produce the book. So understanding what your priorities are, minds were done fast quality. <laughs> uh, putting those three things together helped me understand the things that I had to do, whether I had to learn and do them or just do them. Um, and then the, the things that I needed help with, hiring that help, but give them the same values about the work. Give them, set the same goals for them so that they stay in alignment and don't become an obstacle on that path to self-publishing. Um, and so there's a whole, like I teach people about when you're, when you're done with your writing and then you're ready to move to the next phase, here's some things to think about to keep your book, um, to keep your book moving forward and how you hire that team. Now, one of the things that was a challenge was when I did do my first book, I decided to do an ebook because uh, paperback books, you can still do fairly quickly, but they take a little bit longer just by nature of the fact that they have to be printed on paper and shipped out. Whereas an ebook, once it's done and you upload, again, that Word file uh, and that picture to Amazon, then, you know, uh, in about 24 to 48 hours, your book is on the market. And that is amazing. But the other amazing thing about it, and this is what I tell people when I say it's okay to start with an ebook, is that if there's a mistake, if there's an error, if there's a change, if there's something missing, you take that sucker right down fix it and you put it right back up. Like you don't, you don't get to do that in any other publishing um, modality or platform. Changes take a long time, whereas you have that level of control. So the final thing that was a challenge was eBooks back in 2012, and maybe even still more today, there is a type of reader out there that is never gonna read an eBook. Like they're reading to them, a book is not real unless it's in their hands. So I just decided that in my marketing, I wasn't going to try and convert those people. I was going to focus my marketing on people that were looking for eBooks in the self-help category specifically. And that was a strategy that ultimately uh, propelled A Dream Comes True, Five Steps to Planning and Creating Your Personal Success Story Now to the, the pe uh, best-selling category in Amazon about six months after it was publishing. The reason for that is because I wanted to put my book in the hands of people that were looking for eBooks specifically about self-help. If I just put my book out there in general and said, my book's amazing, everyone in the world, please buy it and read it, it may not have been successful. But that's not what I had my site set on. I wanted to give people who were looking for a book like mine what they were 
looking for. And that was, again, like I said, that, that led to, um, that led to success. It didn't lead to a full level of satisfaction for me in terms of my life as an author, but in terms of my goal of becoming an author and publishing my book and doing it successfully, success I defined as, did I make money? Yes, check, success. And then you set, as soon as you succeed at one goal, you set the next. I love that you just pointed out a bunch of different things, but it, but throughout that process that you talked about, you kind of removed those pathways by defining your own version of success. So you're like, okay, success in writing is X, success in editing is Y, success in graphics is like the type, it'll be the audience, it will be you define success. So then your book becomes successful. I think about my body love book. My goal was just to sell 200 of the 250 I published, I kept 50 to like donate to places or to give to friends or stuff like that. So, and I was able to do that. And now I can then redefine success for that book. Like I'm going to be republishing it and putting it back out there in the world again. But I was able to define success for myself, whereas Mm -hmm. traditional publishers define success for their terms. And then you have to to be a part of their definition of success. Like I remember um, hearing that if you sell less than like I had a friend who who he would be able to get his next book published but he had to sell 15,000 copies of the book that he had out and he was trying to decide whether to like buy up some of those copies so he could get them to pay for his next book to be published and I was like or you could publish like there was so much that seemed backwards to that and I think that so much of the way we we talk about I, I hear often at least that people want to be a successful writer and so they want a traditional publisher because they think that that will make them the money and sell the books but you you give away 95% of what you're making so if the goal is making money whatever your goal is if it's to build a business and make money you are getting only 5%. So you have to sell, I'm bad at math, this is why I'm a writer, but however many more copies (laughs) to make the same amount of money versus like if money is a thing. So understanding what your idea of success is. So for example, for me, self-publishing my self-help, my idea of success is that it's out in the world, it's part of my larger sales funnel, my larger brand, it's part of me helping other people. My fiction, my idea of success is I want it to have gone through the editing process. So whether I do it with a traditional publisher or myself, I want it to be really high quality edited. So understanding what your definition of success was made you successful. And under, and I want my audience to think about that too. Like whatever, you need to define success for yourself before you start. For so many of my books, success was simply writing that first draft. Writing a full yeah. complete draft, looking at it being like, that was a cool story to try. Tuck it away. Maybe later, maybe not. I don't know. For some of my books, my success, my idea of success is like, no, this one is going to be a New York Times bestseller with a movie starring The Rock. Like, you know, <laughs> and everything in between. But understanding each book has a different version of success. So don't let someone else define your book's version of success for you. And I love yeah. that you didn't. I love that you didn't do that. So let's talk about the successes that you came from it. What successes have come out of self-publishing these two amazing books? Well, so when I look at success, I love this idea of defining success because that is absolutely the power that we have, especially as self-published authors. I coach people and I practice myself to go for the lowest hanging fruit of success because again, I'm rejection and criticism averse. And so when I experience or encounter that, if I have tied everyone's opinion to 
my feeling of success, I've lost. I've lost right away. I've lost as soon as I get that first one star review or I get that first like piece of, of a criticism. So my version of success, the lowest hanging fruit for me was done. And so that looks like for me, my book is successful because it's done. If you don't think it's successful, show me your book. <laughs> and if you have a book. Oh my God, it, say it, that again, because I think that's <laughs> so powerful because I can't tell you how many people have told me that my book doesn't count as a book and they've never published a book. Say that, say that again, right. let me hear that again. So my version of success is done. And so if my book is done and you don't like it, show me your book. Yes. If you have a book and it's successful, that doesn't mean my book is not successful. It means you have a different definition of success than I do because my definition is done. So the fact that I have a book means that I am going to be successful, period. Like that's just, it's as simple as that for me. Now, and uh, so that was kind of where I began as a, a, a published author. That's where things began with A Dream Comes True. And that's where it got me. I mean, the other thing was the purpose behind that book. I love how you're so clear about like body love and my nonfiction book is here in the world to do this. And then the fiction books that I am working on are here in the world to do that. I had a similar, um, I had a similar goal associated with A Dream Comes True, which was I was launching a business as a coach. I had developed this signature coaching system. I had been testing it. I had been using it. I had been sharing it in other platforms. And I wanted to put it all in a book to put that out there and then be able to use that to market myself as a coach. And so, and that's a pretty typical strategy when you're starting a business as a coach and you're thinking, how do I build a clientele as a coach? Having a book is really helpful. So it made it a little easier to be like, book, done, coach. And I immediately like put my book, A Dream Comes True, out in the world. And then I like basically walked away from it and focused all of my energy and attention on building this coaching business. But I talked about not feeling fully satisfied um, and that I knew as an author, you know, again, that three parts, creative, entrepreneur, and professional. I, I put the creative hat on hold right away and I focused on being the entreprofessional. And as a, after about three years, I started to feel like, mm, you know, I know I put that book out and it was great and it was successful because it was done. Um, it was successful. And I also know that there's something else inside of me, something different, something that's not associated with this business that I'm building. And that something was real, my stories, not my system, my stories. There is a little storytelling in a dream comes true. And that kind of is probably what inspired me to think, hmm, are people really digging this book because I'm walking them through this five-step system? Or are they digging this book because I have a personal story in there associated with my own application of each step of those systems? I didn't know or care about that. I didn't even think to ask, but I remembered in the writing process what I enjoyed the most was creating that storytelling part. So, and I knew that I had stories. I mean, come on, you know, I have stories too. Oh, now. you got stories. And if you guys want to hear those stories, you should yeah. read this book because they are good stories. Uh, and I, al I always had a dream of like, one day I'm going to write the book that, like the book I knew I would write one day, the book that was just to tell my stories. So I started writing that book, uh, working with the same editor that helped me on A Dream Come True, she did an amazing job because she serves as an archivist 
too. So anything I write, I can send it to her. She files it. And then when we're putting a project together, she could pull it out and say, how about this and that? And I said, I think it's time to put, quote unquote, a real book. And by that, I meant, let's do a paperback. Like, let's, and in the writing, even, the real book is like, I want to focus less or not at all on a process and more on just the stories, letting the stories live and be and be the purpose of the book. And that's how uh, Childish was conceived. I knew I didn't want to write a novel. I didn't want to write a memoir in the traditional sense that I'm going to take you through every day of my life and we're going to kind of grow up in that way. I knew I wanted to just drop readers in to these moments by just telling a story of what happened as I was growing up throughout my life. So you get these snippets or these moments that come together to paint this picture of my childhood. Um, and the sense of satisfaction that I had when that box came and I opened it and put my hands on the paper, it just, that in and of itself, because it told me I can increase my definition of success. And I should, because when I do and I reach that, I feel even better. And when I opened that book and read the pages, I don't really read A Dream Comes True a lot, quite frankly, because I had been living and working that system for 10 years before I ever wrote a word about it. I just didn't need to read A Dream Comes True as often. But when I open the pages of Childish, what I see in there is my actual story. What I see in there is myself and I see myself growing up and I feel that healing again. Um, and that's amazing. And that's just me sitting in my living room with my Amazon box on my lap, still with the packing materials, just like looking in the book. Then I think about other people having that book in their hands, opening it, reading those stories, walking through my life in their own shoes, thinking about their pain. And it's, it's just, it's just a wrap from there. You know, now I realize, oh, my goal here is healing. My purpose in telling these stories is to heal, heal myself from those pains. And then once I put the book out, people started reading it and responding to it. It's so amazing too. You think that, and you talked about, oh, I think I talked about somebody in the world is waiting for your book and they're waiting for it to come from someone like you whether that's, you know, the queer femme or if it's the, the black girl or the black lesbian or whatever it is, they're waiting for you, not just a book, but like your book coming from you. But the thing about it is other people will find that book and other people that you never expected to relate to or enjoy or be healed from your book will. I had like cisgender white men coming up to me and telling me how much they related to a story that I wrote in the book about my first time with a woman. And it's like, really? Like when they would give me this feedback, I'm like, I almost, I'm almost thinking, but it wasn't even for you. But then I realized that I don't get to really choose who the healing is for. I just intend for the healing to be there and that it will find the people that need it. So uh, again, setting a definition of success is important and it will help you along the way, but you also should be prepared to be successful in ways that you never imagined or thought about. Childish hasn't hit the top of any bestseller list 
yet. And I don't get to talk about it in that way, the way I do with A Dream Comes True. But I definitely get, I actually talk about Childish as the more successful book because it reached more people and it had a bigger impact because the contents of the book were my story. And that, that is powerful. And that is enough. That is enough. It's like story, 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 story. See you in the next book. <laughs> you know? Um, and that, that's a, the project that I'm working on now. I love that. And I feel like that's a really beautiful place to end our, our current conversation. I hope I can bring you back in and we can talk more about like the process that you went through. But I love that you're like telling that story is enough. That's how you heal. That's how others heal. Like stories heal. And I, I love that. I love that. Thank you yeah. so much for coming on here and talking to us about your self-publishing journey and your uh, restorative storytelling. Thank you for teaching me that word, restorative storytelling journey. Is there anything, how can people keep getting in touch with you? What's the next step? Obviously go buy your book. I am very, very fond of this childish book and where can they find it? How can they get in touch with you? Um, so childish and the best way to get in touch with me is through social media. So if you search Keisha Lynn pretty much anywhere, I'll pop up and just look for the pretty black girl. That one's me. Um, and please follow me. Please contact me. The book is at childishthebook.com. Um, that's where you can go and buy it from me directly. I did also record and narrate the audiobook version of Childless, which is actually my favorite. Like if I, if you do bring me back, bring me back just to talk about audiobooks and how awesome they are. I'd love um, it. The audiobook, the audiobook version of Childless is actually turning out to be one of the reasons that I can define Childish as financially successful. Um, and I, that, that's really exciting to me. So childishthebook.com is where you can go to buy the ebook or uh, an order an author signed paperback or to download the audiobook, but it is also available on Amazon. Um, the audiobook is available on Audible as well as iBook. Yeah, iBooks. And so uh, that's how to find me, social media, Keisha Lynn. Don't forget, it's one word, Keisha and Lynn together. And then that's how you find about Childish. Um, but uh, I don't actually want to end on a self-promotional note. If it's okay with you, I'd like to share a piece of advice that I'm really starting to give every single one of the people that I work with or the people that reach out to me just for advice about writing. And it, I basically have summed it up into three sentences. Okay. Are you ready? Are I'm you ready. ready. I'm so ready. Okay. So you should write your book like no one will ever read it. And you should edit your book like everyone will read it. And you should publish your book like everyone should read it. If you follow that code, you'll be an author, you'll make a difference, you'll be a healer, whether you intended to or not. And for me, I intend to. So that's my story and I'm sticking to it. That is fabulous advice. I'm so glad we got to end on that. Much love to you, Keisha Lynn, and thank, thank you, you again Lauren. for joining us. And if anybody wants oh, to get a hold of Keisha Lynn, all of the information will be in your show notes. Wonderful. Can't wait to hear your feedback on Childish. And I'm happy to answer any questions as well about the process or about myself. I'm literally an open book. Amazing. <laughs> Bye and thank you. Wow. What an episode. That was amazing. I just... 
I love getting to talk to Keisha Lynn. There's a reason she's a friend of mine. I love her as a writer and as a human. And I'm so glad that she got to be our first guest on the Business School for Writers podcast and that you all got to learn from her. If you want to connect with her more, we have all of her information in our show notes. I just want to share one last thing before we go, something I wrote down from her that I loved and I want to have you have in your mind too. Once you remove the obstacles from the pathway to publishing, the only thing left to do is get it done. If you want to be a part of restorative storytelling, if you want to heal through writing, if you want to hold your book in your hands, all you have to do is get it done. And the rest, well, that's what Business School for Writers is here to help you with, figuring out all of those logistics and helping remove those obstacles to the pathway to getting your story out in the world, whether it's a published book, whether it's a blog post, whether however you are as a storyteller, we're here for you. So thank you again for joining us, and I cannot wait to read your book. You just finished another lesson at Business School for Writers. Feels pretty great, right? Being one step closer to a thriving writing career. I am so excited to see how you put to use the tips you learned today. So please share what you gained from this episode in the Writer Squad Facebook group. You can find your squad at facebook.com slash groups slash writer squad. Want even more support making your writing dreams come true? Go to businessschoolforwriters.com where not only can you find show notes and links from today's episode, but you'll also be able to explore courses, coaching, and free resources we've gathered together to help you along your path to creating a thriving writing career. Thanks again for listening to the Business School for Writers podcast. I'll see you in the next lesson. Business School for Writers is hosted and produced by Lauren Marie Fleming with editing and support from Samantha Olivares. All rights reserved by Las Maestras LLC. Our music is De Lejos by Ila Bamba. Check them out on Spotify. Big thanks to the team at Terrorbird and to Kristen Hozak. And of course, big thanks to you, the listener. Now put down this podcast already and go write. I'll see you next episode.